I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, as we look this morning at a message entitled, Our God is Faithful. If you're new to North River Church, our habit every single week as we gather together is to open God's Word to work through a passage of Scripture, typically through books of the Bible. And so we began in Genesis in the month of January, and we're continuing on this morning in that series. So I'd encourage you to make sure you have your copy of God's Word with you as we gather each morning, and we will work through it as we seek to hear from the Lord. One of my favorite things to do is to do premarital counseling. And there's two reasons. One is I want to help the couple equip them for what life's going to look like. Two, I want to shatter the illusion that they have. Because you experience this, I experience this, you enter into marriage and you think that your spouse-to-be is perfect. I mean, you don't think about things like your spouse grinds their teeth at night or that your soon-to-be husband actually snores. You don't think about the fact that your wife-to-be likes to steal the covers in the middle of the night so that you freeze. Or that when you say, where do you want to eat, her phrase is, it doesn't matter to me. And then you begin to get into the really serious things about how you handle conflict and how you work through dealing with your in-laws. You know, Dave Ramsey says that you need to wait a year before you buy a house because you need to figure out how far from your mother-in-law you actually want to be. That illusion that we have entering into marriage that our spouse is perfect and my father-in-law was very perceptive in that when I went to ask for Janie's hand in marriage, he said to me, why, why do you want to marry your daughter? I said, I love her. And he said, she will not be the same person five years from now as she is today. And the reality is that's true. Different person. Not the perfect person that we have in our mind, but the person that God has entrusted to us for life. What's interesting is when we approach Scripture, if we're not careful, we'll approach Scripture in that same illusionary way as if the characters that we encounter in Scripture that God uses in powerful ways are perfect. I mean, sometimes we set them on such a platform that we lose sight of the reality that they, like us, if we're followers of Jesus, are simply sinners saved by the grace of God. And that God in his graciousness chooses to use them in incredible ways. What we're going to see this morning as we work through Genesis chapter 20 is that reality on display. We've been talking about Abraham. We have looked and seen that God has used Abraham in incredible ways so far. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do in and through Abraham moving forward. But if you remember at various points, we've seen the highs and lows for Abraham. We've seen him walk in obedience to the Lord, and then we've seen him not walk in obedience to the Lord. We've seen him do incredible things and intercede on behalf of Lot in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we see him lie about the fact that his wife is his sister. 
We see the highs and the lows. We realize as we see that, that it reminds us of an important truth that the characters we encounter in Scripture are not perfect. However, our God is perfect. And in spite of our weakness and in spite of our imperfection and in spite of our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to work for His plan and for His purpose. What I want us to take note of as we look at Genesis chapter 20 is that once again on display. We're tempted to think of Abraham up here, and the text this morning reminds us that he, like us, is simply a sinner that is saved by the grace of God. I want you to take notice as we begin Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. This is God's word. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men who were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. 
and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in Genesis chapter 20. And it's this truth. We can rest assured that our God is faithful to accomplish what he promises. There is never any doubt that our God will accomplish what he promises. He is faithful to do what he says he will do. You know, it's interesting as we begin to look at the text this morning, because I want you to notice the volley that takes place in the text. First, we're going to encounter Abraham's sin in the first part there of Genesis chapter 20. We're going to see that on display, him lying once again, that his wife is his sister. And then we're going to see God's protection. We're going to volley from Abraham's sin to God's protection. And then we're going to have Abraham try to offer excuses for his sin. And then we're going to see God's blessing. At every turn, we're going to see the negative when it comes to Abraham. And at every turn, we're going to see the positive as it comes to our God. Abraham's faithlessness, God's faithfulness, Abraham's sin, and God's working in spite of what Abraham is doing. I hope that as we leave this morning, it would encourage us that that is the God that we serve. That in spite of where we are and what we may do, our God is faithful. I want you to notice first and foremost, Abraham's sin beginning in verse one. This is what the text says. From there, Abraham journeyed toward this territory. He lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned, it says there, in Gerar at the end of chapter one, uh, verse one of chapter 20. And then in verse two, it says, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. I want you to notice that Abraham does here exactly what he had done in chapter 12. If you remember that, Abraham, as we journey through there, was going into Egypt, and he said about Sarah, who was his wife, she is actually my sister. He was terrified that he would be killed as a result of the beauty of his wife, which I find absolutely fascinating because if you remember, Sarah at this point in time is 90 years old. And evidently she was absolutely beautiful to the point that she caught the attention not only of the king, but of all the people. That they looked and said, this woman is absolutely beautiful. And this man by the name of Abimelech takes notice of Sarah and says, I want her as my wife. And the ruse that Abraham and Sarah had cooked up is that we'll just say that you're my sister so that they won't kill me. 
It's the same thing that happened in Genesis chapter 12. And it demonstrates, as I said then, this same truth that Abraham doubted that God would fulfill his promise to him. Remember, the Lord had said to Abraham that he would bless him, that he would make him into a great nation, that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed as a result of him, that he would give him a son. Remember that that is the promise that God has made. And up until this point, the promise had not yet been fulfilled. And for whatever reason, Abraham's mindset in this moment is, I have to preserve my own life. I'm not sure that God will do it. He doubted the promise of God. You know, as we look at that, it's interesting to me because it reminds us that the root cause of sin, the root cause of sin every single time is a lack of trust in the Lord. A lack of trust in what God has said and in what God is doing. Not believing that God has what's best for us set before us. And so we sit back and we say, well, maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe God's not fulfilling what I think he ought to fulfill. And so maybe I need to take things into my own hands. For Abraham here, he said, I need to take in my own hands my own life because I don't know that God is going to preserve it or not. Let me ask the question for you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what is, the, what is the sin in your life that demonstrates a lack of trust in the Lord? What is it that you say, God, I'm not sure that I can put that on your plate, on your shoulders. I'm going to hold on to this and put it on my own shoulders because I don't know if you're going to fulfill what you've promised that you would do. You know, it's interesting because it reminded me as I was looking at that, this reality when I was a student pastor of taking kids to a restaurant, which is always a precarious thing to do, right, Pastor Aaron? You just never know what may happen. But typically we would go into a fast food restaurant because we're not going anywhere nice, right? We're not doing it. Go into a fast food restaurant and usually it was my middle school boys Love middle school boys, can't stand middle school boys. If you're a parent of a middle school boy, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But they would go up to the drink machine and they would make what we call a suicide, which is they would hit every single drink dispenser and fill it. You look at it, it's brown, it's kind of gooey a little bit inside. You're like, that's nasty. And the reality is the people who make Coca-Cola, the people who make Diet Coke, the people who make Sprite and Mr. Pibb, they have a formula to make the drink because that's the way the drink is supposed to be enjoyed. It's the best that they know how to create. But oftentimes we're like the middle school boy when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, that the Lord says, this is the best for you. This is what will satisfy you, walking in righteousness, walking in obedience. But we instead decide we're going to do this our own way. We're going to make our own suicide. And the reality is it leads to not tasting very good and ultimately not being fulfilling in the way that it was intended to be. 
That is what sin looks like in our own lives. That's exactly what's happening with Abraham here. He is struggling to trust the promises of God. He's struggling to believe that God would come through the way that God had promised he would come through. I want you to take note at this point in time, Abraham is a follower of God. We realized that several chapters ago that it was Abraham's faith that was counted to him as righteousness, the Lord says. So it's not that he's not a believer at this point in time, it's that he is a believer, and even as a believer, he's struggling to trust the promises of God, struggling to entrust himself into the hand of God. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, where do you find that struggle? Where do you find that situation, that circumstance? What's interesting for Abraham here is this is a repeatable sin in Abraham's life. And oftentimes in our lives as believers, there are sins in our lives that are repeatable. We battle this same thing over and over and over and over again. For Abraham, it was this fear that he would lose his life because of being married to a beautiful woman. Isn't that tragic? And yet for him, that was his struggle. You know, it's interesting to me because if I'm the Lord in this moment, I'm probably saying, we got to go with somebody else. I mean, why are we going to use Abraham? Why not someone else that would be a little more faithful to trust me? Yet if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you take comfort in the fact that we are Abraham in this passage. We are the ones who are oftentimes not faithful to walk in obedience to the Lord. And if every single time the Lord looked at us and said, I'm just done with you, he'd be done with us a long, long time ago. But God in his graciousness and his mercy still works in and through us. It's a beautiful picture of the grace of God. It's a great reminder of the fact of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, that when God looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness covering our sin. He looks at us and calls us his child. You may be here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and this is the moment for you to perk up and to ask a simple question. How can I have a relationship with God? A God who takes sin seriously, a God who promises to judge sinners. How can I stand in his presence in my sin? And the reality is you can't stand in his presence as a result of your sin. You are desperately in need of a Savior who has paid for your sins and his name is Jesus. And today you can receive the salvation that his life, death, and resurrection offers to you so that you can be assured moving forward that when God sees you, he sees not your sin, but his son's righteousness that covers you. I want you to notice as we keep going in verse 3, where we probably would have thrown in the towel and given up on Abraham, I want you to notice God's protection in verses 3 through 7 this morning. It says, but God came to Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech was the king of Gerar who had taken Sarah as his wife. He came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and he said to him, behold, you are a dead man. Well, that's encouraging. 
But notice the reason why. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now I want you to notice that this is news to Abimelech. He doesn't know this. In fact, at this point in time, he is under the illusion, under the the thought that this must be Abraham's sister. I want you to notice in verse 4, now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. Notice his response here in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. I have done this. He's pleading in this dream that the Lord has spoken to him and said, you are a dead man. He said, whoa, 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 hang on. God, I've not acted on this because I knew that it was wrong and did it anyway. There's there's some measure probably of faith on Abimelech's part. There's likely a relationship that he has with the Lord as well. And he says, I didn't do this because I knew it was sin. It was a sin of omission. I had no idea what was going on here. I want you to notice, though, the response of the Lord when Abimelech says, it's in the innocence and the integrity of my heart that I've done this. Notice verse 6, God said to him, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was, listen, I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Wow. The sovereign hand of God at work in this messed up situation. You know, it's interesting as we look at this, why this is such a big deal. You think, man, I I don't understand why this is such a big deal for Abraham and for the Lord in this moment, for Sarah and all of that. And and I want to try to unpack that for you so that you understand what's going on here. Remember the promise that the Lord had made to Abraham and to Sarah, that Sarah would bear a son. And that through that son, the Lord would bless the nations. Now, what we know looking forward in history, we realize that that ultimately is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth in the lineage of Abraham. We realize looking forward what's going on. They've not yet seen it. They don't yet know it. They haven't been able to grasp it quite yet. But we're able to look back and see that's what the Lord is doing. Well, think about this for just a second. What if Abimelech, having taken Sarah as his wife, actually followed through and consummated the marriage? There would always be the question, is the son the son of Abraham or is it the son of Abimelech? The Lord in this moment has put a hedge of protection around Sarah in this situation to prevent the question from ever coming forward regarding God fulfilling his promise and his covenant. This is absolutely huge when you grasp this, that God is working behind the scenes to make sure that his covenant promise to Abraham 
will be fulfilled without any questions whatsoever, whether it's valid or not. In fact, God intervenes to secure the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Remember that when Abraham makes the covenant with the Lord, remember the animals that were split in half, and Abraham watches the Lord pass through that. In fact, what we're reminded of is that this is totally the Lord's work in this situation. That God actually holds back, the text says here, Abimelech from moving forward and consummating this marriage. And Abimelech sits back and goes, Lord, I've been innocent in this. And the Lord says, no, I kept you from this. Which is an interesting thing when you take note of it because a question that I often hear from people who are skeptical of what God's doing, people who are skeptical of whether or not the Lord is at work in the world, one of the questions that they often ask is, well, why doesn't God stop things from happening that we see around us? Why doesn't God stop the murder? Why doesn't God stop the death in my family? Why doesn't God stop something like the Holocaust? Why doesn't God act in that way? Well, here's something I want you to take notice of. That God is at work regardless of whether we can see it or not. That there is not an event that takes place on this planet or in your life in particular that is not first filtered through the hands of a sovereign God. There's not a moment that you and I endure in this life that hasn't first passed through the hands of our God. You know, it's interesting. We see that on display with Job. We see that Satan comes and says, hey, I want to test Job. And he has to ask permission of the Lord to be able to do that. And the Lord grants permission for him to do that, to test him. We're reminded that for every single one of us as followers of Jesus, that the Lord allows things in our lives to test our faith. James chapter 1 reminds us to strengthen us so that our faith in the Lord grows stronger day in and day out. It's easy to look and to ask the question, why doesn't God stop? But here's the thing. What we see here is that God actually did that in this situation. Let me ask you this question as a follower of Jesus this morning, just to put in the back of your mind and to think about, what has God prevented from entering into your life that you just don't even know about? What step of sin has the Lord prevented you from taking in this situation like he did with Abimelech? It's a humbling thing to think about, a humbling thing to realize that our God is at work, that even, as 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 reminds us, even when we are faithless, that our God remains faithful. I don't know if you want to think about it in this way, but if you were a kid and you went bowling, you ever remember your parents pulling out the bumpers? If you're a parent that didn't pull out the bumpers, you tortured your kids. I just want you to know that, right? You're looking back, bud, it's a gutter ball every time, right? Sorry, hate that for you get better, right? But you pull the bumpers out on the side so that the ball actually makes its way where it's supposed to go. And I want you to recognize that that's exactly what the Lord is doing in this situation. That God is pulling out the bumpers. 
That God is still have a plan and purpose that he is bringing to fruition and he works in this situation. I want you to notice in verse seven, he says to Abimelech, now return the man's wife for he is a prophet. Notice this, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. How fascinating that in Abraham's sin, as the Lord is speaking to Abimelech, he says, return the man's wife, notice, and ask him to pray for you because he's a prophet. To which I step back and go, Abraham? He's the knucklehead that got Abimelech in this situation. I want you to notice that God is still desiring to call Abraham from where he was to where he wants him to be. As his child to take him from where he was, afraid of what God was not going to come through and do for him to the point where he wants to use him in an incredible way. You know, as we continue on, I want you to notice Abraham's excuses in verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Abimelech said to Abraham in verse 10, what did you see? that you did this thing. Abimelech calls Abraham and says, how could you do this to me? Why would you put me in this type of situation? I want you to notice, I had hoped in verse 11 that Abraham would have said, listen, man, I am really sorry. I didn't trust the promises of God. And I brought you into this situation and I shouldn't have done that. I want you to notice that Abraham starts making excuses. Unless we be too hard on Abraham in this moment, have you ever been there to make excuses for the sin in your life? Instead of owning it and taking responsibility, notice Abraham says, beginning here in verse 11, I did it. He's going to give three reasons. One, because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. How ironic that Abraham would say, the people of Gerar, I was worried that they didn't love God and wouldn't walk in obedience to him. As Abraham doesn't walk in obedience to God. It's like, really? How ironic for him in this situation. So that's the first thing. Then he says, notice, verse 12, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So he says, well, technically, she is my sister, but half-sister, but technically. You ever pulled a technicality out on God or on excusing your own sin? Technically, I'm, I mean, maybe it wasn't that bad. And I want you to notice that he throws next God under the bus. Verse 13, 
And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Notice that he says here, I mean, ultimately it's God's fault. I mean, God's the one who sent me out. Now, let me put this in a perspective you could, you could maybe grab a hold of in your own life. I've told you this before. One of the things that I hate more than anything, absolutely detest, is sitting in a parking lot like Publix and watch someone push their grocery cart out and not put it up when they get finished unloading their groceries. If that's you, the Lord has word for you right now, okay? All right? You need to hear it. You know that the right thing to do is either take it back in the store or to put it in the grocery cart catch-all area, right? But notice, you may respond in this way. You may criticize the people at Publix. You may say, I don't work here. If they want the carts put up, they need to have people in the parking lot picking up the carts as they come along. That's what Abraham said about the people of Gerar. They don't even love the Lord. I don't know that they're going to follow God if I show up and I'm following God. It's their fault. I want you to notice that not only that, you may sit back and say, I mean, everybody else does it. You know how I know that takes place? Because I've watched people. Listen, I stalk people as they do this, all right? You need to know this. Some of y'all are like, did you see me yesterday, Pastor? I did. Listen. <laughs> but they'll stop and then they'll look around. Right? I mean, everybody else is doing it. And then the best one. You know, if Publix actually cared about us putting the carts back, they would have more places to put the carts back closer to my car. It's Publix's fault. In the same way that Abraham said, it's God's fault. How quick we are to excuse our own sin. And yet even in the midst of that, I want you to notice in verse 14 through 18, even in spite of that, God's blessing. It says Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants. He gave them to Abraham in fact, God blesses Abraham even in the midst of this situation. It's sometimes perplexing, but as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know it's encouraging that God does not give up on us. God still desires to use us for his purpose, for his glory. Not only does he give Abraham these gifts, it says that he gave him land to dwell. It says he gave Sarah a sign of her innocence in the eyes of all who are with them so that everyone would know that when God fulfills his promise, that it will be in purity. And then it says in verse 17, Abraham prayed to God. In fact, I could think in this moment, the beginning of that prayer likely was a prayer of repentance for Abraham. Because what we know is that God heard Abraham's prayer. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. And in this moment, God heals Abimelech and his wife and his female slaves so that they bore children 
because God had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of this sin. And when we look at this, how do we leave this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you that you serve a God who is faithful to accomplish exactly what he promises he will do? It is easy for us in the moment to operate out of fear. It's easy for us to seek to excuse our own sin in our lives. But can I call you back to repentance this morning to trust God and his promises, to believe that he is faithful to do what he said he would do. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, would you experience the hope that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? that because you are not perfect, you can experience a relationship with your heavenly Father because of the perfectness of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reminds us of your faithfulness. God, that even when we are not faithful, you are. God, as a follower of Jesus this morning, would you encourage us with that truth this morning? And God, where we are tempted not to trust you, not to believe that you are faithful, God, would you use stories like this to remind us of what's actually true? God, if there's sin in the life of a believer this morning that they need to confess before you, would you give them the courage to do that this morning? Would you let them know that your arms are open wide to receive them to yourself? And for those who are here that are not yet followers of Jesus this morning, would you help them see today that the people we read about in Scripture are not perfect people. They're just people who have been transformed by a perfect God that you extend to them this morning that offer that their life can be transformed that they can be brought into the family of God as they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior God work in our hearts and our lives this morning we ask that in your son Jesus' name Amen would you stand this morning As we sing and close out our service, our altars open, our pastors are down front, you respond as the Lord leads.